BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What is up, Lightbeams? This episode of The No is brought to you by Cinderfit. In case you missed it, I started using Cinderfit blocks in my workouts and I am absolutely loving them. Cinderfit is a design-oriented fitness brand based in Miami, 305, what it do. And they have created these awesome, versatile, weighted and very chic cinder blocks that are a super asset to any gym or home workout. I can't wait to tell you all about my experience with them mid-episode and you already know you are going to be able to use my unique promo code, Nikki Spo. When you check out at www.cinderfit.com. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, light seekers and truth speakers? Today, we are getting the chance to chat with Dr. Erica Velez, who is a clinical psychologist who has helped thousands of individuals find peace through her work as a psychologist, but also on her online platform at The Mindful Corner, where she helps people improve their parent-child relationships and their relationships with themselves. Here is your weekly reminder to subscribe to The Know if you haven't done so already. And if you're feeling called to leave me a five-star rating and review, it would mean the world to me. So Dr. Erica Velez, this work is her calling. Helping people understand themselves and take control of their lives is something she looks forward to every single day. She is a bilingual psychologist who is passionate about helping her diverse clients find their inner strength and peace. She mainly aims to help clients find the tools they possess within themselves to reach a higher level of emotional growth. She works with clients of all ages and backgrounds and has a tremendous amount of experience with postpartum and perinatal moms, kids and teens, and behavioral consultation. Today, we are going to talk about how our relationship with ourselves can impact our children in positive and negative ways, and how we can grow, learn, and adapt in our environments in order to create lasting, healthy relationships with ourselves, our loved ones, and especially our kids. For me, as a mom who is working hard to break generational trauma bonds, so that I may be a healthier, better functioning parent. Dr. Erica Velez's words have brought me so much inspiration via her platform, The Mindful Corner, and I'm excited that we get to hear from her today. So let's get started. Dr. Velez, welcome to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything, but it's about coming to know our innermost selves. And although, disclaimer, I have never used you as my personal psychologist, I've really enjoyed getting to know your methods and thought processes through your platform at The Mindful Corner on Instagram. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for having me. And yes, I always like to preface like I am a psychologist, but I'm not your psychologist or anyone's psychologist. And this isn't therapy. That's like a disclaimer that we need to have. And hopefully your listeners can g- gain uh, great value from today's conversation. I'm excited to have it. Definitely. Me too. Okay. So today I mostly want our listeners to get some deep real life insight on how our relationships to ourselves matter like a lot when it comes to specifically parenting and how our generation is working their tails off. Like our generation specifically, right? Like working our butts off to break old unhealthy patterns so that we can show up better in the world for ourselves and for our kids. Yeah. I I, I like to call this the millennial healing your child, parenting to healing your childhood wounds pipeline. And this is the pattern that I tend to see, right? So I think our generation, because we have widened the access and destigmatized mental health to some degree, we have done more inner work, right? So many of us have been in therapy. We've been on Instagram following mental health professionals, just learning about our inner landscape, building our emotional vocabulary, building our emotional intelligence. And when we start doing this work, we realize wait, I should have, you know, why didn't I learn this when I was a child? Stuff starts resurfacing, especially in parenting, because the blueprint that we have for parenting, whether we're conscious of it or not, comes from the way that we were parented. And so if you're trying to change that narrative and parent in a different way, that kind of brings up the way that we were parented or things about our own childhood that have been unresolved and that need our attention. So I find that to be the case that A lot of people from our generation, millennials specifically, are doing a lot of this inner work right now at this time period. I think it's, I mean, I call it the great awakening. Like I think women are waking up. I think everybody's waking up. I think parents are waking up. I think we're all looking at ourselves and being like, wait a second, that really didn't work out so well. And that's not to say that like the things that we do as parents today, and we'll get into all of this, but like the things that we do as parents today aren't going to impact our children in positive or negative ways, like down the road, you know? Um, But I think that that at least like we're more open. A lot of us are becoming more open to receiving those downloads, you know? Um, But before we get into all like this nitty gritty, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, like just so our our listeners get to familiarize themselves with who you are. Like, where did you grow up? What made you want to get into psychology in the first place? Okay. So I grew up here in Miami. I am a first generation Cuban American. And I always just had a knack for like chatting with my friends, giving them advice. And I know that sounds cliche, but I just enjoyed talking with my friends and kind of breaking down things that we were going through, whether it was when we were teenagers or even young adults. And I took an AP psychology class in high school. I grew up um, in a low-income household, and I have very specific first-generation experience of what it feels like to be like in between two worlds. Like my parents are Cuban, didn't even speak English, and I grew up in this world, and the intersection between those two worlds kind of left enough for me to try to analyze, and I had enough content to kind of dig into here. Um, But again, yeah, then I ended up, again, I've always been interested in why we behave the way we behave, trying to, I, I always say I have a hyperfixation on just people just always been naturally curious about people. Why is it that we act the way we do? What are the patterns that kind of shape our relationships? And I needed, I said, what better way than to make a career out of it? So that really was why I was like naturally curious and interested in just humanity in general. 
And um, I went on to get my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate in clinical psychology. And while I was in the program, I could have sworn I was going to become a forensic psychologist because I just loved really? watching all of those murder mystery shows. I'm and obsessed I was like, with murder mysteries, okay? What does that say about me? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was endlessly obsessed with them. But then when I started doing that work and uh, taking the courses, I was like, okay, I, I love learning about this, but I can't see myself doing this work. I started realizing, I'm like, I'm actually a scary cat. Like, what am I thinking? I'm going to go into the prison system. I'm like, no, that, that's not for me. So I've also always loved children. I've always joked that I'd rather talk to children than some adults at times. So then I, <laughs> I went ahead and did a child concentration and I became a child psychologist. Um, but my internship was um, a generalist. So I worked with adults, with children, with individuals across the lifespan. And that I had really good um, training. And uh, I opened up my own private practice. I've always... Congrats to you. That's amazing. Thank you. I wanted to go on my own and just build my own, um, I say, brand, right? And helping individuals. And then I went on Instagram and I went on Instagram in 2013 when it really wasn't a thing. Mental health professionals weren't on Instagram sharing. No, you like took a content. picture of what you were doing that night or your food or something and you posted it on there. Well, it was more like on my feed, I was just seeing... Again, stuff like that, people and pictures. And I said, you know what? You know, it'd be great if I would post like inspirational quotes and that while people are just surfing uh, social media, they could come across something that would be thought provoking and will make them think. Again, that has always been what I like doing. So I, I started off down that path and I named it the mindful corner, the little corner of Instagram where you would just take a second to be mindful and reflect and that turned into, all right, now I'm finding my voice. Now I'm finding content that I personally feel passionate about that I want to share. Through my work with adults, I realized that a lot of the stuff that I was working on with my, my clients and I were working on together um, was rooted in their childhood. And so I kind of started taking the, the, the direction of let's make some parenting content. Let's work on the parents who are actually doing the work right now how can we widen the conversation and expand consciousness about how important childhood really is? Every generation is going to get some things that, you know, we just missed. They're blind spots. Um, but now we do have a lot of information. And the example I often give is like we all rode around in our in, in our parents' car without a car seat. Um, but with time, we realized, you know, that's kind of unsafe. And now we know better and we do better. Right. And so the same goes for our parenting. We realize, you know, it is impactful. You know, a lot of the messaging that we get, and again, we're going to get into that today, that we get um, that kind of paves a path for how we treat ourselves and how we relate to others, whether it's romantically or in friendships or in parenting, comes from these early childhood experiences that unless you have become conscious of, of how much they're impacting your day-to-day -day life and you're doing the work to either unpack or untangle some of this subconscious programming, it, it is in the driver's seat of our lives. So uh, my goal on Instagram is just to bring awareness to these conversations. And again, you're scrolling through, see something that maybe just makes you reflect for a second and say, wow, um, this makes sense to me or I never saw it this way. And just starting the conversation and again, doing my part to expand consciousness. You posted recently, um, it was a quote from L.R. Nost that reads, it's about kids, like a kid is speaking. Like this is like as if a child is speaking. So you want me to grow up into an adult who thinks for myself, 
acts independently and stands by my choices. But while I am a child, you want me to be submissive, compliant, and pliable. This hits for me. Okay, so like Dr. Velez, this hits for me hard. A, because I was that child, right? I feel like I knew who I was from jump, jump. Like I really knew who I was, right? And I like had my boundaries and I had the world telling me how to be in it. You know, it wound up for me personally making me very angry. Um, but B, now as a parent, I'm like, shoot, this is hard. I'm trying to teach my kids how to be themselves in social and school settings while also teaching them how to stand up for themselves and honoring their feelings and trusting their intuitions and setting boundaries while also trying to instill good manners and respect and discipline and effort and intrinsic motivation. And it's, whew, this is hard stuff, Dr. Velez. Like this, this is hard stuff. So this quote hits for me hard. How do you how do you help parents navigate that specifically? So first and foremost, I want to say that it's a, it's too much. It's too much. It feels like a lot because it is a lot, and it's too much. It's impossible. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's impossible for us to expect that we're going to get all of this right, and putting that pressure on ourselves is not it. It's not what we do to our children. It's not what we do. It's how we respond when we do it, right? So I always say, you're going to mess up. This isn't about going through parenting. Like if you're going through a landmine, like I don't want to mess up because that in on itself, A, is going to suck the fun out of parenting, which I believe parenting could be fun. But most importantly, it's going to make you anxious. It's going to make you parent from a place of fear, which then may make it more likely for us to then parent from guilt. That's not it. That's not it. We don't we don't have to burden ourselves with wanting to be perfect. That's not it at all. It is taking this information in and saying, how can I be the best? And when I'm not the best, which again, I don't get a free pass just because I write about this work, just because I work with parents. There are many moments I'm not proud of. It's how we own up to that. How we say, look, I didn't like the way I reacted to that. Or if you have younger kids, mommy's going to do a do-over. That wasn't okay. Wasn't okay that I yelled at you like that. We're going to do a do-over. And holding ourselves accountable and just being real. It's the same way we are with our spouses or with friends. When you realize like I just unloaded on you and it had nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. I'm going to take accountability for that. Let's do that again. Let's do a do over. So that's the first thing I want to say is that I, I never want these conversations to feel like more burden, especially for moms. And I say moms, I know some dads are equally responsible for, but for the most part, we, we brunt, the most of uh, of parenting, right? And so, and all of these fears that we have about, I don't want to be the generation that messes them up, especially when we begin to uncover how maybe our parents got a few things, you know, that we want to tweak. That sounds like a really big burden for us to carry to say that we are the ones that are going to break all the cycles of dysfunction in our family lineage. Fix all the things. No. Okay. So we're going to be compassionate with ourselves and realistic about what we're actually here trying to achieve. And the first and foremost is being a human and humans make mistakes and we are imperfect. And so with that comes imperfect parenting. And so back to the quote, um, we don't want to tame our child's personality away, right? So you, you're a strong-willed little girl, you have your boundaries, you feel instinctually what's right for you and what's not, but we do need to participate in society. And so right. for many generations, what we did is just say, children, um, they don't speak, they don't have opinions, you just have to blindly obey, right? And what we're realizing is that that has consequences. What what happens when I shut myself off as a child and I said, all right, I'm just going to be compliant? Because the, the thing about children is that we they do have to survive 
the household in which they live. And so eventually they realize, okay, it's, it's unsafe for me to have my own opinion. Um, it's unsafe for me to go against my parent for, because of whatever their circumstance was. But they, they slowly start turning off their inner voice and adapting because, again, they have no other choice than to survive the household in which they're living in. And so then we get into adulthood and we're wondering why why do I find myself betraying myself in romantic relationships? Why at work do I not feel like I can communicate my wants and needs? What are my wants and needs? I don't even know myself. I find myself just kind of either masking or people pleasing. And so where where did the messaging go wrong? When did I abandon the little me that lived inside of me? And a lot of the times it had to do with the messaging we got from our grownups, the grownups that we lived with, whether they were the teachers um, that left an impression on us or our parents or whoever was caretaking for us. We got the message somewhere along the line that what we wanted, what we felt, what we thought, it didn't matter. And so now we know, again, through research, how that has consequences and how that seeps up, seeps into our adult life. So with that information, how can we raise children who have a place to assert themselves, but do so in a respectful manner? And the challenges that can come from raising these children, because we could want that for our child. Yeah. But then sometimes we just need to get out the door and I just need you to listen to me. Right. So, <laughs> I, you know, how do we how do those two things coexist? And it is a dance. It is a dance. Um, it's a North Star to keep in our parenting that I don't want to. Oh, I love that. You know, I don't want to tame my child's unique spirit. And I do want to give them opportunities to express themselves. But ultimately, I want to build a relationship with them. And if, if you read my work, you see that that's my focus is to build healthy, positive relationships with our children where they see us as effective leaders, meaning we are running the show here. We can do both, right? Where we can honor them and validate them for whatever it is that they're feeling and still be the effective leaders that they need us to be. I feel like the validation part, it has been really important in my personal experience with parenting. Like I, I, I know that I personally felt like very invalidated in a lot of my like big feelings growing up. And so I make like a conscious effort to validate their feelings. Um, it's really hard that your brother took your toy, you know, and that's so frustrating. And we also can't hurt him when he does that. You know, we can't punch him because because he took your toy. Like that, we're not going to do that. I think it's a really, really delicate balance. Like, and it's really hard. It's a really hard one. Like, what is like how how do we teach? How do we discipline in this space? Uh, first, I want to really define discipline, right? So, oh yeah, let's do that. D discipline comes from the word disciple, right? Where the children or your disciples follow you because they see you intrinsically as a leader. It's not coming from a place of, again, blindly being obedient to you. So we need to widen that definition and see it that you want to build a relationship with your child where they're going to want to obey you because they believe that your relationship is that precious. And so the example I often give is think of in your romantic relationship, in any romantic relationship, if you feel emotionally connected to your partner because you've been feeling seen, heard, valued, you guys have had date nights and you've really connected on an emotional level. Romantically, you also need to connect on an intimate level. 
when that fire is burning, you are much more likely to let go of the little things. You are much more likely to just say, I feel so connected to you. I want to keep that connection alive that I don't care if you didn't do this X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm willing to overlook that. Similarly, when we feel disconnected, any and everything becomes a fight because we are fighting superficial fights that really have to do with the fact that we are disconnected, right? So this is a human need and desire for us to feel connected. And so for children, their connection, their security comes from being attached to us. So when they feel disconnected from us, when they feel that their their worldview is not being valued or mattered or they're just being chauffeured around life and they don't get to demonstrate their autonomy, they're going to fight you on all of the little things because they are betraying themselves otherwise. So you're going to have much more challenges with misbehavior and just them trying to, especially if you have a strong-willed child, which is not a bad thing. It's a great quality to have, but those children are going to be much more challenging to parent because they don't want to just blindly follow you because you're the parent. I need a buy-in and the buy-in is the relationship. So when we nurture the relationship, you tend to have children who just tend to be more cooperative because they want to maintain that little flame. I want mommy and me to be good. And so I'm going to be more likely to say, all right, I'll go along with you. Um, So creating opportunities for them to be autonomous if you have really young children, giving them the opportunity to make choices where they feel I do have some control over my life and mom values that, that in turn makes the parenting relationship more fruitful and you less likely to have to discipline them. Hold the phone, you guys. I want to take a break so I can tell you all about Cinderfit, my new best friend in the gym. Okay, so it's no secret, I work out like a lot. And I work out in a lot of different ways because, well, I like to keep things exciting and new and fresh and different. Enter the Cinderfit block. Listen, I am pretty strong, physically and emotionally, duh. And these blocks come in a range of weights that I'm using to add some versatility to my workouts. There's a lot that goes into my thought process when I'm making purchasing decisions. Everything in my home and my life has to be functional. If it doesn't have a function, I don't want it. But I think it's also no secret that I'm really into aesthetics. I like things to also look nice. So I love that Cinderfit has created a stylish, design-oriented, and functional product. Basically, it's like a gym in a block. I don't know if y'all saw, but I stacked my 15 and 25-pound blocks in my home gym, and they're actually, like, pretty and functional. So I love them. I've been sumo squatting, deadlifting, bicep curling, mountain climbing, like the workout obviously, no, I'm not climbing any literal mountains in Miami. I've been tricep dipping, Russian twisting, and I can even attach resistance bands to these bad boys and do all kinds of resistance training with them. I'm having fun, seriously. I also love that Cinderfit has all kinds of supplemental videos on their site so I can get a high-intensity training workout in, some sculpting, and even some flow-based inspiration when I need it. Whether you are a beginner or you're doing advanced workouts, you're going to be able to use the Cinderfit block, and I'm not even kidding you guys, it can easily replace all of your workout equipment. You know I've got the hookup and I love to share all my great finds with you guys, so for a limited time, you'll be able to get free shipping on these um, heavy bad boys with my code NikkiSpo when you order your Cinderfit block at www.cinderfit.com. Summer is coming. I legit think of Game of Thrones every time I say that. You know when they say like winter is coming in Game of Thrones and I think it's like a thing? Well, 
Here in Miami, summer is coming and we need to get ready, folks. Go to cinderfit.com and order yours like right now, right now. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I know even just for me, I have a four, a three-year-old and a five-year-old and obviously a newborn, but like, I know a lot of my listeners are moms of young kids, right? So like, what are some examples of giving them choices, right? Because like a big thing for us is like, oh, I don't want to go to school today. Okay. Well, you have to go to school. Like what is the option there? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to go to school. I understand you don't want to go to school, but we do. Let's think of something that you want to do after school that you're looking forward to. Do you want to? And then you fill in that space, right? This so, or that. This or that. What do you want to do when you come home from school? Do you first want to, you know, watch TV for a little while or do you want to play on your tablet or do you want to do art? What do you want to do? And you redirected the conversation so that they could focus on something that they do have control over and that they are excited about. Um, giving them as much mastery and autonomy throughout their schedule. So when you do come home from school, how do you want to plan out your afternoon? And again, there's going to be non-negotiables. We do have to have dinner. We do have to shower. And we do have to do whatever else we have to do. But within the free periods, how do they get to control their time? Depending on their age, of course, you're going to have to um, curate this in an age-appropriate manner. But giving them their sense that they get the answers to the most meaningful questions we have as humans, which is, do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? And if I don't get those questions asked, answered where I don't feel seen, I don't feel valued, and I don't feel like I matter, my voice here isn't heard, I am going to, again, this is, this is not at the conscious level. They don't have the capacity to really say, hey, my needs are not met, mom, and that's why I'm being cranky. But you're going to see the, the rebellion. Yeah, they're going to see um, the, the, the unmet needs unfold and sometimes really challenging behavior. Um, well, yeah. I mean, and how many adults does this, like, th- does this occur in, you know? Like you mentioned that 
our childhood wounds like carry over into they'll show up in our adult relationships and our relationships with our children, Mm -hmm. like our romantic relationships and our relationships with our children. And it's Mm -hmm. like, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter? And if those answers aren't yes, right, or they're unclear, Mm -hmm. there will be a rebellion. Yep. Yep. And so I'll fight you in in our adult relationships is that I'll fight you on the small things and I'll double down on those. But the reality oh, is we're fighting a deeper fight, which is I don't feel yes. heard by you. I don't feel valued by you. And again, if we're not really connected to our feelings and we're not really connected to, whoa, this is what's happening. The truth is that I actually feel disconnected from you. And we do these this thing as humans and children do this because, again, they're tiny humans where if I feel disconnected from you, oftentimes my first line of defense is to push you away. So it's like, let's say you're, you've been waiting to talk to your partner all day and they finally get home. And now you're like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> when in reality, all I wanted to do was talk to you. But I'm so hurt by the fact that I feel disconnected from you that I almost want to push you away when in reality, what I want to do is pull you in, you know? And so knowing this, knowing this, that this is a human need, we are wired for connection. We need each other. We need, I mean, Look at these, this epidemic of loneliness that we're having. The impact yes. of being disconnected is having on our society as a whole, right? So we know that this is a need. Your child needs to feel connected to you in order for them to feel safe and for them to feel secure. And when we work on that, we ultimately see the impact on behavior. So one of the things that I do in my practice is no matter what the age is, when a parent comes in and say like, we have all these behavioral problems, you know, I'm having all of these problems with my child and they're kind of like in a negative funk, in a negative cycle, right? I say, what what would happen if for like the next two weeks, we don't focus on any of the misbehavior? If it's going to be there, it's there, but our focus is going to be on building positive experiences. So would you be able to take your child out on an ice cream date and put your phone away? Because uh-huh. children can, are really good detectors of presence, yeah. right? Our presence yeah. and I'm guilty, guilty of, of this. Uh, uh, ditto. It's like we're all, we all guilty are. of we this. We all are. We all are. Damn. We are. I mean, got to be better. It is what it is. We have been, I don't know, like socially conditioned now to be on our phone all the time, and so our attention is is being um, pulled in many directions. And a child knows the difference. Yes. We know the difference between you're you're out to dinner with a girlfriend and she's on her phone the entire time. We're like, wait, I didn't really connect with you. Like we came, but we didn't really connect. No, you know what sucks is that I know that my ki- my kid knows. Yeah, they know. That's, you know? Oh, like, they know. I know. Like I could be like they could be home. Like I could just be them getting getting them home from school, and but I'm not finished with some of my work stuff, so I'm just like trying to bang it out really quickly, you know. And they're like, "Mommy, mommy, 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 mommy," like, and they're kind of like acting out. But I know, I know that I'm not giving them the attention that I need to be giving them. But I gotta, gotta finish this mm-hmm. so that I can go give them the attention. You know, man, it's it's hard. Yeah, and if they don't get their needs met. Again, they are going to find very interesting ways to get your attention. Yes. Very interesting ways. So often I I recommend, again, try to schedule some special time. Parents are often really surprised. Yeah, they're really surprised to hear that all it takes, and this is backed by research, is between, it's actually like seven, but between five and 10 minutes, that's all it takes for you to, and if you really think about this, think about you and your partner, do we have hours on end each day to feel connected? Usually we don't. What, how, how much is the time? Well, it's usually like a five or 10 minute, like good conversation. And that is enough to hold you through, right? So children are the same. It's like five or 10 minutes that I could say, I'm going to pour into my child. I'm going to be fully present. If they're really little, I'm going to enter into an activity that they enjoy. 
me and which is hard by the way can we talk about the fact that that's hard because like especially when you're in the new throw like the throes of new motherhood i'm like playing with the little thing that makes the little sounds and like it it, sometimes like especially if you're a stay-at-home mom and like you know shout out to the stay-at-home moms because that shit is hard work you know but like you're around a baby all day and and that is hard but it's so true like we we like for me personally, Dr. Velez, I've had to like really try to find the joy in those moments, even though like superficially, like there might not be things that I want to do. Like, do I want to be like jingling this little like baby rattle, especially if like your kid isn't smiling? If your baby doesn't smile yet, you're like, what? What is this for? Like, what's my reward for working this hard? You know, um, I love but- your honesty because it's it's very relatable. I mean, most moms- it's hard. Yeah. It's not that fun to 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 play these games. But I think if we lean into it from a form of like, this is my way to connect with my child, if yeah. you know this brings them happiness, and then in turn, we're going to have just a better vibe here at home. But you said something earlier, and I don't want to dismiss it because it's such a real experience. And that is being overstimulated. Little kids are, it's, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot physically, there's a lot of touching, there's a lot of physical demands that we have on our body. There's a lot of physical labor involved in rearing children. And then there is my personal struggle, which is the noise, a lot of stimulating noise. noise. Yeah. Yeah. The noise. And our feelings are important too. Right. So yeah, again, I always want to merge the two that yes, we understand the deep need to connect with our children and for, to build their emotional intelligence and to build their well-being. But at the end of the day, we're human too. And so understanding like, what are my limits? When do I feel like I'm getting tapped out? And how do I create spaces for myself where I have the opportunity to disconnect from this role? That gets tricky because everyone's situation is different, especially if you're a single parent, right? But these little mental vacations, I like to call them, pouring back into our cup. Because one thing I know for sure is that no matter what we do um, as parents to try to provide the best responses and the best care for our child, mom's mental health, and I'm going to go ahead and say moms because I know dads are important too, but mom's mental health is at the top of what the family needs. Amen. If mom is not okay, right? Everyone suffers. And again, I, I don't mean that to burden us. I just mean it as, as a family, we need to come together and support mom and say, mom's needs are important. And if you can't physically exit the home, again, in some cases, parents are parenting on their own, whether they're single parents or their, their partner works a lot. Um, we need to create and protect this space, even if it's 10, 15 minutes where we have coping skills in our kit, ways to regulate our body, where we can come back to ourselves and say, I am pouring into myself so that I could be full enough to then pour into others. I mean, and this like opens up this whole other concept of like how we identify women. You know, I just recently started asking mostly men, but like I ask women also like, well, who is a woman that you most admire? Um, and it's been really interesting. And I, and I do this in a non-judgmental way. Like I don't, I'm not judging what you say. I'm interested. And I'm like, I want to ask this thought provoking question. And I want our listeners to think about this too. It's like, when you think about a woman who is the most inspiring woman to you, whether that person is in your life or it's, it's a person outside of your, outside of yourself, like outside of your like known circle. Um, and then a person answers and I ask, what is it? What are the qualities 
that you admire about that woman. And so far with like a lot of the men I've asked, they've been like, my mom is the woman who is most inspiring to me, which is wonderful. Right. And then I asked like, well, what were the qualities that, that, that made you um, admire her so much? And a lot of those qualities are like, she was so selfless and she took care of everybody. And she, you know, she held on the fort at home and she gave up her work to be with us. And I'm not saying that that is bad or good. I'm not saying that I am not opining on that response. I'm just interested in the consistency with which it has been that I have observed that those are the qualities that are admired in women. Mm-hmm. Martyrdom. Is their selflessness. It's martyrdom. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yep. Self-sacrificing. Right. Mom eats last. That's right. Mom takes care of everybody's needs. Mom right. is like, That's right. kind of pulling herself together at the end yeah. of the day. And, you know, I think it's up to our generation to say no. That I You're can, because right. when does it end? If That's we right. teach this to our daughters, when does it end? When does it end? Are Amen. we just passing that, that? You know, are we just passing that on? Um, I think it, it goes a long way. I love Bluey, that show Bluey. And there's this episode where mom has had enough. And it's because Bluey, Bluey is in the kitchen playing his flute or her flute. And then the other uh, child is just asking her for a snack. And we've all been there where we're like, I can't take it anymore. And she's like, I'm done. The, da- the dad comes in and she's like, I need 20 minutes. I need 20 minutes to regroup. And then the kids are wondering, like, do you not love us? And then dad is like, no, mom just needs to regroup. Right. And so I, dad. I think we are Shout starting out, to, dad. I love, I love the, the, the writers on that show because it's like, we're starting this conversation early on. Like kids are learning. So my kids know like, okay, mom needs her 20 minutes. And I'm like, yep, I absolutely do. I want them to know that caring for myself is important because I want them to be able to care for themselves. I want them to know that love and limits coexist. I can love you and I can have a limit. I'm done. We're done talking today. I oh am God. done. <laughs> Dr. Velez, but this like hits on something so much bigger, like, and it comes full circle to what you're saying is like that the word discipline comes from disciple that our children are from us yeah, and they will see how we are with ourselves yep. and they will begin to model that behavior. So we hold the responsibility as women to say, absolutely not. I want to teach my son right. that his wife doesn't have mm-hmm. to be self-sacrificing in order to be a good mother. And I want to teach my daughter. Yep. And I want to teach my daughter that in order for her to be a mom and a good mom, that she doesn't have to let go of herself. That yes, there's going to be seasons. And we know the seasons, you know, if you're a mom, you know the seasons in which you are taxed, but that doesn't have to be the entire story. That you should be able to have your own pursuits and, and your own interests and things that bring you passion. The time you're taking today to have this conversation in your podcast, the time I'm taking to have a business and to to do things outside of motherhood that in turn make me a better mother. So let's talk about being triggered and um, still trying to respond. You talk about this a lot on your platform, like responding instead of reacting. And I struggle with this, you know, like something it's hard. Like for the most part, I can respond. And then there's just that one time that I'm like, I'm reacting. Oh my gosh. Like I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so doing our own inner work um, is essential. And I I do want to make this disclaimer. So a lot of the times our triggers do come from like unhealed wounds. Absolutely. Other times our triggers come from just Again, being overstimulated, right? So it has nothing to do with our childhood. And I want to make sure I define that because there has been some talk about, you know, all your triggers come from a deep, dark place, you know, that we need to explore endlessly in therapy. And while, yes, 
some triggers could come from there. Like, for example, thank, if you, thank you for addressing this. This is important. I know I, I made it like a hill that I want to address it from now on, because I think, you know, there's nuance to things. And yeah. there's a lot of pros to social media and consuming all this content. But then there's nuance. And I think sometimes that gets That's lost right. in, in the nuance. And there's nuance to this topic as well. Yes, a lot of the times, like, let's say, for example, you were raised in a very authoritarian household and you just needed to follow all the rules. And so your child challenging you could be triggering because you're like, if I would have done that to my parents. My parents would have. And so it is an innate trigger that a small child is going to be defiant. So there is that. And that could come from that dark place. And that in it, in on itself um, is maybe something you want to unpack in therapy or on your own self-work. However, there are triggers that have to do with, I didn't get enough sleep last night. My needs weren't met. My basic primitive mm. needs. I, I, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm hungry. I'm triggered because I'm hungry because I'm making dinner or I, I haven't been able to properly care for myself. Or at times I'm triggered because I have just reached my max with regards to noise or being touched out. So we can be triggered for a number of reasons, right? And I don't think that we'll ever get to a point where we're going to eliminate this. And this is a point that I really want to make sure I stress is that with the destigmatizing mental health and with widening the conversation around mental health, I think some of us have gone into like this perpetual self-improvement kind of cycle where we feel like we're this endless project that we need to just improve, improve, improve. We're not going to improve certain things. That's part of our humanity, right? We are going to have triggered at times. It's how we deal with these triggers, right? So almost like learning them learning your inner landscape. What are the things that set me off? Well, I've learned that if by certain time of the day, I've, I just haven't had a break, I'm more likely to be triggered, right? So that's first and foremost. It's kind of really looking into what are my triggers. And once I understand them, I'm less likely to be surprised by them. So that's number one. Number two, when we're triggered and we haven't created consciousness around it, we are much more likely to come from a place of reaction where we didn't really think. It just, I got triggered, boom, a reaction. And this is a skill that I think, truthfully, is important for us to work just in general. Because if you understand your triggers and you are able to create this space, which this is a practice because this is a skill. And like yeah. any skill, think of a muscle that you're trying to specifically target at the gym. You don't just show up once and say, right. I'm going to lift this and suddenly my muscle is going to be here. No. And you work at it. You work at it. You work at it. And then you do see the growth. So this right. is something, if you find yourself often being triggered and then regretting your reaction, right, which a lot of us could uh, relate to that, then it's time for us to do some of this work. And the work is catching yourself the minute you reacted in a way that you weren't proud of. So we um, create uh -huh. muscle memory around catching ourselves. And before yeah. you know it, you've created the pause, which I call practice the pause, where if you could just take one to two to three seconds to bring consciousness to what just happened, whoo, my body just felt triggered. I just want to snap. You were parented specifically. This is about parenting. If you were parented with any type of violence, right, whether you were swatted when you misbehaved or somebody threw a shoe at you, or some or a parent physically assaulted you, understand that whether or not that's a plan for you, and you say, I want to break this cycle, I don't want to do this, that's in you. And you're likely to want to come from that place of reaction. Wow. So I work with a lot of parents who tell me, I, I don't know why I reacted that way. I hated that my parents reacted that way. But I found myself wanting to be aggressive towards my child, and I feel so guilty about it. And I say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. There's a blueprint, right, that 
we come with and we're operating from that blueprint. The good news is that we, we can edit it and we could say, I can choose to, to create some space where I, I then have choice. Because you see, when we're reacting, we have no choice. We're, we're coming yeah, from a right. conscious place where our That's past right. is kind of like in the driver's seat. Yeah. If we practice the pause, then we get to, even if it's two seconds, we get to choose. Now I have choice. How do I want to respond to this? And if in that moment, in real time, I am unable to really find an effective choice, I can at least choose to remove myself from the from the room. So let's talk about then the uh, the power of reconciling with your child and um, taking accountability for our own actions as adults and what that models for them. So I love that you mentioned that because repair is my jam, right? I, I don't want to come ever from the place of like, let's avoid, we're human. That's not where it's at. Really, when we look at trauma, it's not what happened to you that matters as much as what didn't happen after, right? So what didn't happen after? And again, going back to our personal relationships, oftentimes it's not necessarily what your partner did. It's the fact that it either went unacknowledged or just brushed under the rug, or it really wasn't addressed properly because we're going to make mistakes. So I rather focus on repairing. What do we do when we did mess up? Because we're going to. And so first and foremost is to hold ourselves accountable. And I think that this is something that we really haven't seen modeled because a lot of millennials will tell me, my parents never said, I'm sorry. Right. Because maybe they felt to this day. They have a really hard time, especially the boomers. I mean, I don't want right. to. Sorry, know. boomers. We really have a hard time with holding ourselves accountable. And I think it came from a place of like, um, if I demonstrated defeat to my child, that maybe then, you know, they'll take the reins and then I won't have power over them. It probably came oh, a place wow. from That's fear, deep. right? Yeah. It probably came from that place, right? Um, and again, I don't want to make generalizations, but these are themes that I often see in working with with these individuals is that they think like if I apologize that I'm giving away my power and that couldn't be further from the truth. There's so much to learn when we apologize to our children. First, we remove them the burden of being perfect themselves. Oh, I love that. Because 10 out of 10, they will make mistakes and you want them to be able to do this even with their siblings, right? Like, hey. You know, we have to be able to hold ourselves accountable. And so when we apologize, we are offering them what it looks like in real time. I am modeling this for you so that you could see what it looks like. So we hold ourselves accountable. We say, I'm not proud. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Mommy yelled. I, you know, I have to work on it. I'm working on it. We're all working on something. Adults aren't perfect. So mommy's working on it. Let me do a do over. Okay. Here's how I wanted to have addressed this instead. And we apologize to them. And again, I think that there's so much benefit there where they they start viewing you as we're in this together, right? I, I could lead you and still say I was wrong here. And that doesn't necessarily mean that now my child controls me. There's a big difference uh, between those two, right? And right. so I'm all about repair. Repair is essential. Give me one healthy relationship. Show me one healthy relationship and you will see that they have mastered this skill of how do we make up? And it's usually not ignoring problems, brushing them under the rug, because when we do that, we are harboring the recipe for resentment. And resentment is just ruins the relationship from, from the bottom up. So I always say, yeah, I always say that having resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, it's whatever goes unaddressed uh, persists, right? And so with our relationship with our children, a lot of us grew up feeling like 
frustrated. You mentioned that earlier and angry. And what was that? That was because there were moments where I'm sure you knew that you were right. And yeah. And or you perceived something and you felt it was unjust and you live with that anger and what's happening and it's happening in, you know, I don't know if it's becoming a trend, but I'm definitely seeing a lot more of it now is that as we work on us millennials, as we're working on identifying these things, a lot of anger is resurfacing from our childhood. And sometimes we bring that into the relationship with our parents and we say, you know, why is it that when I'm around my parents, I feel, you know, anger or rage and it's now my parent is lovely. You know, they, they haven't done anything to me. They're, let's say they're helpful or they're calling me just to check in on me. But there's this feeling, right, that a lot of people are reporting. And it's like, I feel angry at them. And then I'm judging myself for it because I don't know where it's coming from. Well, you know, and sometimes I think about it like, obviously, like I'm very open on my show about some of the things of my upbringing. And, you know, I have not disclosed everything about my childhood, but I'm pretty open about a lot of the things that did happen. And it's interesting as I go back and I speak with my family members um, who listen to my show and there is tension over it, you know? And one of the things that I always say is like, you had your experience of how things went down and I had my experience how thing, of how things went down. Like, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's how I experienced something as a child. Like, that was my experience. To so tell me that I experienced it differently, there's the gaslighting. And I don't even know that the gaslighting is even intentional all the time. It's just like, they, they want to like tell you that this is how they experienced it. So that's not how you did it. And I don't know that that gaslighting is even intentional, but I think it is really important to bring awareness and a sense of consciousness to the idea that a person's experience of the same event could be drastically different from the other person's. I mean, we can both how watch interpret it, how yeah. we felt about it. Yeah, we can watch the same movie and have very different right. opinions about how we experienced right. it based off of, again, our own triggers, our own likes. That's right. You know, absolutely. And I think that has a lot to do with our own emotional growth. I think the more you work on yourself and the more uh, emotional growth you, you have, you tend to be more open to differences, right? People who are more closed off tend to just, they they subscribe to something and they don't want to veer off of that. And again, not to pathologize that, but that brings them some safety. And so you challenging right. that belief rocks their world because exactly. they really haven't explored their inner landscape. So I want to close with reading a quote that you posted and I just reposted it this morning. Um, and so it shook me to my bones. And I think the more that we've spoken just in this chat, Dr. Velez, like the more I realize that it's not just geared towards one type of relationship, but really it is, could be a romantic relationship, a parent-child relationship, any friendship, like you mentioned. Um, but the quote was by is by Heidi Pryby, and it's a long quote, guys, So, but it's beautiful, so just stay with me and hear me out. And it goes, to love someone long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the people they used to be. The people they're too exhausted to be any longer, the people they don't recognize inside themselves anymore, the people they grew out of, the people they never ended up growing into. We so badly want the people we love to get their spark back when it burns out, to become speedily found when they are lost. But it is not our job to hold anyone accountable to the people they used to be. It is our job to travel with them between each version and to honor what emerges along the way. Sometimes it will be an even more luminescent flame. Sometimes it will be a flicker that disappears and temporarily floods the room with a perfect and necessary 
darkness. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I'm so grateful that you like shared that because it it really resonated with me. I actually went out, went out and bought her book and I started listening to it, which is which is really great. And so, you know, I, from working a, a program of recovery, I've heard so many people's stories and, you know, you listen to people's stories over and over and over again. And I'm sure you can relate to this as a psychologist. It's like everybody is feeling the same thing. It's just in like a different package. Yep. 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 Like we're all longing for the same thing. It just comes in a different package. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that's what people find comfort in by coming to this show is like the the feeling of coming home to themselves through a sense of community and through a sense of like mutual understanding and acceptance of each other. Dr. Velez, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. I know of you're course. Busy, a busy person. And of course. Um, I just know that we're going to help so many people. And even if we don't help so many people, if we help just one person today, that we'll have done like something really, really beautiful. I enjoy my time with you. Thank you. You're a beautiful soul. So thank you for inviting me. I hope the listeners drew something from this and it reignited some flame within themselves to either feel validated in their experience, to know they're not alone. And especially if you're a mom, to take care of yourself because you're important. What is up, Truth Speakers? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The No, brought to you by Cinderfit, my new favorite piece of workout equipment, which can easily replace all of your existing workout stuff because no one likes clutter. You can pretty much do it all fitness-wise with a Cinderfit block. So like I said earlier, summer is coming. It's time to get your fitness game on so you're feeling great, not just for summer, but for life. Get free shipping on your heavy Cinderfit block for a limited time by using my code NikkiSpo when you check out at www.cinderfit.com. Enjoy. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless and in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.